Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, guy doing it at both. Jason's already broken (laughs) here. Gonna have a lot to say as we go on. So, as always, we close out our season with an epilogue episode. We've been talking about the films of 1975 and we look back at what we covered and what we didn't. Other notable films from this year, things from our various categories, and suggestions from you, our wonderful, loyal listeners. So uh, hopefully Jason will have something to say here. I mean, I feel like this is as far as like overall quality, maybe, like I said, the best year in movie history and maybe the best year for awesome movie year that we've covered. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think for whatever reason, we ended up maybe more than in other seasons talking about so many like iconic classic films this season. You know, we had a mix and we definitely talked about some obscure stuff, but I feel like we hit on like, you know, maybe half the season was just like really well-known classics and and most of which I think, or maybe even all of which held up really well and, and were really worth watching. So I don't know about best ever, but it certainly was, let's say, an awesome movie year. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So we started the season with the box office champion, which was Steven Spielberg's Jaws. We actually talked about quite a lot of the big movies at the box office. This is one of the things uh, I think this season, you know, quite a lot of the most successful movies from this year we did cover. Uh, Some of the top 10 box office films that we did not talk about include uh, Shampoo, The Return of the Pink Panther, which I don't know where in the long Pink Panther series that one fell. Uh, Three Days of the Condor, which is a great conspiracy thriller that I think we uh, definitely thought about uh, covering at one point. I I do love that movie. Uh, Funny Lady, which I believe is the sequel to Funny Girl. The Other Side of the Mountain, a movie that I had not heard of. And Tommy, which we talked about a bit in our Listomania episode. Yeah, Shampoo, Hal Ashby. Warren Beatty basically betting on himself uh, again and winning. Uh, that that movie's worth watching. Uh, I don't love it as much as some other Al Ashby movies, but it's a cool '70s movie that deals with a lot of uh, uh, themes of uh, mobility and social and economic situations in Hollywood. That's a cool movie. Return of the Pink Panther. I mean, it's Peter Sellers, right? So at some point, it's going to be worth watching just because of that. Yeah, I haven't seen any of those Pink Panther movies, and nor have I seen Shampoo. But I, w- I would be curious to see that. It's that's between the Warren Beatty and Hal Ashby aspects. It's pretty intriguing to me. I would say. Yeah, Goldie Hawn, Jack Warden. I mean, it's it's good yeah. stuff, bro. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll do the next one, Josh, because that's how that works. So I won't just sit here like an idiot and not say anything. Josh, we went to the first feature and um, we had some good picks. Uh, You had Hard Times by Walter Hill, who we actually just talked about in regards to Jack Hill in our uh, uh, Switchblade Sisters episode. Uh, You had Hester Street, Joan Micklin Silver. And uh, I know we've mentioned her before, I think, in uh, our 84 episode. uh, episode. Is that correct? Yeah, because we talked uh, about uh, Marissa Silver, her daughter and her film. Right. Right. With uh, which one Sundance. But there really had to be only one, Josh. The Knights Who Say Me told us that we had to do Monty Python and the Holy Grail. 
which we did, Terry Jones, Terry Gilliam, and I watched all the Python movies because of it. Uh, and uh, that's the right choice. Yeah, it is. I'm I'm definitely interested in seeing Hester Street. And I feel like Joan Micklin Silver has had kind of a resurgence in interest of her work, which has become a little more available lately. So I, I'm intrigued to watch that. Actually, uh, I watched her 1977 film, uh, Between the Lines, that I really liked, um, but we didn't end up, we didn't talk about it. I watched it after, I think, our 1977 season, but um, I, I like that film a lot. So I'm, I'm curious to see Hester Street. And I am, of course, a big Walter Hill guy, The Warriors and Streets of Fire. Um, so I would like to watch Hard Times because I want to watch anything Walter Hill does. He's one of these like legendary figures uh, who maybe doesn't get like that mainstream legendary status, but like a John Milius type is just full of stories and crazy Hollywood. Antics. Yeah. And still working made like a Western this year, which I think was supposed to be not so good, but um... it wasn't so good. I watched it. <laughs> yeah. But I watched it because it was Walter Hill. Right. And I think Christoph Waltz was in it. And it was just like, huh, what a what a bummer because he's so good in like Django. And then this is this. Right, right. Yeah, I, I that seemed like kind of the general response to that. But certainly a lot of really interesting Walter Hill films. And that Hard Times I was not familiar with. So it'd be worth seeing. For the flop, as, as I mentioned, we talked about Listomania, Ken Russell's non-successful film, from 1975 with Roger Daltrey in contrast to the huge hit that was Tommy. Um, a couple other, I, to me, really intriguing options, uh, Peter Bogdanovich's At Long Last Love and James Ivory's The Wild Party, both movies from major filmmakers that seem like these kind of ambitious swings that didn't work out. And that's always fun to talk about with relation to a flop, I think. If I'm not mistaken, The Wild Party is dealing with kind of the industry, right? Hollywood and everything like that. Uh, sure. Let's say that. I haven't seen it. <laughs> All right. Well, if it is, it's, uh, you know, another one of these movies that sounds interesting, like uh, Day of the Locust, which is something we've mentioned a few times here, and it's a send up of Hollywood at the time. Right, right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think, again, all of these are, there's so much stuff this year, as you're saying. It's even these weird, obscure flops. It's like, I would love to see that. So, very cool. Right, right. So, we got more to do here. Um, Josh, we went to Cannes next, and uh, the winner there was The Enigma of Casper Housel. Yeah. Bringing back a little Bruno S there. I'm glad you so, did. Sometimes I pause in my sentences, <laughs> um, which, of course, Werner Herzog. With, uh, and, and we all like that movie, Josh. Um, you, we picked that because it won the Grand Prix and the uh, for Presti Prize because the winner, Josh, was a three-hour Algerian film that we could not find. What is that film called? It's called Chronicle of the Years of Fire, directed by Mohamed Lakhtar Hamina. And yeah, I think that would have been maybe a little too obscure for us. But the truth is, even if we wanted to cover it, it's not streaming. It's not on DVD. I'm not really sure how we would have been, been able to watch it. I mean, anytime we can watch Bruno S is a, is a win for us. Yes. Other movies, Josh, you mentioned Tommy. That was in uh, Cannes this year. Uh, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, a great, I think, underrated Scorsese movie. What do you think? Yeah, I, I haven't seen it in a while. I think we might have watched it together in our little film club with Tony Macklin that we mention uh, often, but um, it's a while ago. So I, I you know, have to revisit it to say. So a few others, Lenny, which, as you know, the Bob Fosse film for all our listeners, I'm a big fan of and made Josh watch. And he liked yeah, it. Yeah, that's a good one. 
The Passenger, Michelangelo Antonioni's movie, which was not available in the U.S. for years. Did you ever see that movie? I did. I actually saw it when it became a, when it was given a like a theatrical re-release, and I I reviewed it. And I, you know, as we talked about in our episode on Blow Up, I think I'm mixed on Antonioni, or at least on what I've seen. But I really like The Passenger. I like The Passenger, and uh, Nicholson's really interested yeah. in there. So. Um, and then the other one that I have marked down is uh, Section Special by Costa Gavras. Yeah. And uh, I also the original Scent of a Woman. You know, we've talked about Martin Brest Ooh. a few times. Yeah. I don't know if there's any huas in the original Italian film. By Dino Risi. Yes, exactly. And uh, King Who, his film A Touch of Zen, another major filmmaker. Um, so, you know, a lot of big, big world filmmakers at Cannes, as there always are. Yay! So our documentary pick was uh, one of these where it was like, there was really no other choice. It was Grey Gardens, which is one of the greatest and most famous documentaries of all time. And really also there weren't a whole lot of other notable documentaries this year. The only one that I had suggested was an Agnes Varda film called Daguerreotypes. And I do love Agnes Varda. But uh, other than that, I feel like it was it was a lock on that category. Yeah, Agnes Varda, major filmmaker, totally worth um, covering, obviously. But uh, I just love Great Gardens, as you know. Um, and it still, it just, it holds up for me, man. Um, the Big and Little Edie are fascinating and captivating, and I would watch more of them. And there's more of them to watch, because as we said, there's like seven other movies about them. Now. Yeah, I kind of had enough of Big and Little Edie, but it was it was certainly worth watching Grey Gardens and, uh, you know, earns its place in the documentary canon. Uh, Josh, I don't believe you said that. I'm going to go tell the Marble Fawn all about this. And you got a little Edie impression. You got a Bruno S. impression. <laughs> Just for that reason alone, this is the greatest year in the history of cinema, right? All the impressions. Yeah. it's um, it, it, You really had to dig deep. These are obscure. Yes, but worth it. Uh, so my pick was The Stepford Wives, which is, uh, to me, a movie that really is underrated and held up really well. And I'm glad that I picked it. Um, my other big option for that was Robert Altman's Nashville, which I know Jason was pushing me toward. And maybe we'll actually get to talk about it anyway. And um, one other thing I think that I considered was David Cronenberg's film Shivers. We have talked about Cronenberg before when we did our episode on Crash. And I love Cronenberg. I feel like there's been multiple years where I've thought, Oh, maybe I'll pick a David Cronenberg movie and, and have held off, but I'm sure we'll get to talk about him again eventually. I think so. And um, I had never seen Nashville. That's why I was pushing towards it. But I think we're going to do a bonus on that because uh, we got a plan to do bonus on the films that were nominated for Best Picture but didn't win so we could cover all the Best Picture nominees. And part of the reason we're doing that is because uh, the audience feedback was so electric wanting us to cover these films, Josh. It was. So, yes, we will have a bonus episode on Nashville. And obviously, I love Nashville, so I'm happy to revisit it for that. Josh, did you love Jean Dielman, the number one rated film of all time, according to Sight and Sound? Those mucks <laughs> over there. I did not love it, but I loved our discussion of it. And I'm glad that I got to see it. And again, it was like when that's the the number one film, the greatest film of all time. Like we have to talk. We had to, and I'm glad we did. Um, looking back, it, it did feel like quite an effort to watch. It, <laughs> yeah, it was. 
I don't know any of these other uh, foreign films that we had listed. Why don't you take some? Of them? Uh, yeah, I mean, again, it was like John Dealman was the obvious choice, but you know, some other notable ones. Uh, the story of Adele H, which is a Francois Truffaut film. Of course, we talked about Truffaut's film, The Last Metro, in our 1980 season. I think it was. Yes. Uh, Dursu Uzala, which is a Nakira Kurosawa film. And I feel like we've had multiple instances now where we've almost talked about Kurosawa and we haven't. So that's someone I'm sure we have to get to eventually. Uh, Fox and His Friends, a Rainer Werner Fassbinder film. And Salo or The 120 Days of Sodom by Pierre Paolo Pasolini. And Dave, for some reason, you watched this movie. <laughs> I did because it was actually my like runner up for my Dave's pick just because I've never seen it before. And, uh, you know, it's obviously so infamous. And so I figured I'd finally get around to it. And how was that experience? (laughs) I mean, it's a great movie. It really is. It's just a very difficult watch. I mean, as far as difficult to watch movies go, it's maybe the most difficult to watch movie, but it's really good. (laughs) Wow. Uh, this is such a blind spot for me because it's a famous movie and you just mentioned three of the most famous directors in the world. And uh, I didn't know these movies and it's not like I don't know Kurosawa movies or Truffaut movies. So uh, just uh, totally a whiff for me on 1975 foreign films, Josh. Well, yeah, to be fair, I don't think those are Truffaut's or Kurosawa's most well-known films. And I haven't seen either of those. Fox and His Friends, I think, is a fairly well-known Fastbinder film. And and Salo is, as Dave said, like notorious. I mean, it is if you ever see one of those lists of, you know, the movies that you'll never want to see again or whatever, mm. it's always on there. And I, I my my metaphorical hat is off to you, Dave, for uh, for sitting through that film. I, I should probably do it someday myself. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I was next, Josh, with my pick and I don't I only had one. It was Dog Day Afternoon. And um it kicks ass. It's an amazing movie. I went back and used it as an excuse to watch a ton of other Sidney Lumet movies. I'm glad I did. I mentioned The Day of the Locust earlier. Uh, it's on my to-watch to list. I haven't seen it yet, but it sounds like something that would be really fun for me to watch. So, But it was Dog Day all the way for me. Yeah, I was glad to revisit Dog Day Afternoon. I think I liked it even more uh, the second time. It's just, just a fantastic film. And I only had time to add in one other Lumet movie, which I was a little underwhelmed with. But there's so much stuff that he made that I would be interested in watching. And I had never seen Day of the Locust. I think I said in one episode that I'd never even heard of it. And I, I maybe I had, but it's not something that was on my radar. So I, I should check that one out too. Hey, maybe we could all watch it together. Maybe we could. We can revive Film Club in order to watch that film. So uh, we then went to the Berlin International Film Festival which I don't think is one that we've covered before. You know, we've kind of skipped around in that episode. We talk about Sundance when Sundance is available. We've talked about the Venice Film Festival, but uh, that I think was not a thing. Maybe was on. No, we definitely covered a Golden Bear or a Silver Bear. Did we? Okay, maybe, but it's not something we've done a lot, but we did talk about the film adoption, probably the most obscure film that we talked about this season. But, you know, interesting horizon broadening for us to look at Hungarian films. And man, the lineup at Berlin was a whole bunch of stuff that I did not know anything about. Um, so just a few that I noted that that had some familiarity. Uh, Jacob the Liar, the original of that, which was later remade as a film, I think, with Robin Williams in America, which was a, is a Holocaust film. Uh, Woody Allen's Love and Death and a Western called Posse, 
directed by and starring Kirk Douglas, not something that I'm familiar with, but those are really the only names that stuck out to me in that Berlin lineup. What about the Mario Van Peebles film Posse? Do you know that one? I do not. So maybe I need to do a Posse mm. double feature. Uh, it might have been a, a remake because it's a it's a Western about a posse. Hey, so, I mean, a Western about a posse, like there's there are very few movies like that. So, hey, Josh, there you can have a posse on the streets, too. You True. Know, you you so. sure can. You sure can. Josh, I, one thing I'm uh, liking about this season is as we're going back, you know, we've we we know we get the feedback. Hey, you should cover more women directors. And we at least did two films of this season uh, that were directed by women and a lot of main characters, uh, whether it's our documentary, our sexploitation pick. So this is a good year to put the women in the forefront of films, which um, is tough sometimes with some of these older movies, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, we, we do get that feedback and I think we do try to find those female filmmakers to cover when we, when they kind of fit in with our, our categories. But yeah, I wouldn't think, you know, when we talk about uh, something from the, the 2000s or whatever, you imagine there will be more options available. But in the 70s, there aren't nearly as many. But yeah, it worked out really well. And I'm glad that we did take that stretch. Of course, both of those not American films, you know, so maybe saying something a little about who's making movies in the US. But absolutely, I hope we can continue to do more of that. Right. Of course, in the US, though, we did have the Switchblade Sisters and Grey Gardens, which uh, uh, heavily focused on the ladies. Josh, yeah. speaking of nothing except 1975, that's called a professional segue, everybody. We did the best picture next, which was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Beloved, we all still like it. Um, we, As we mentioned, we already covered two of the other nominees, Dog Day Afternoon and Jaws. And I would expect Barry Lyndon in Nashville coming down at buy David Rosen Patreon, where Dave steals our money like the heavy in a 70s exploitation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, as you said, both thanks to some of that social media feedback, as well as the strength of that category, we decided that we wanted to cover all of them. So we do have bonus episodes for our small but devoted Patreon following coming up on both Barry Lyndon and Nashville very fascinating films. Looking forward to talking about both of those. Hooray. You said it. <laughs> so we had Dave's pick next and Dave picked Dolomite. And uh, what a film that was. Dave, wh what else did you kind of consider for your pick? Well, like I said, uh, Salo is my my second pick. Uh, other ones that I was thinking about, though, uh, you already mentioned The Return of the Pink Panther and Tommy. Those were two that I was uh, considering. The other one, which I don't know much about other than that it's supposed to be insane and I will get around to watching it sometime soon, uh, A Boy and His Dog, which, uh, yeah, I, I don't even know what it's really about. I just know that it's supposed to be nuts. Yeah, I've seen A Boy and His Dog, which is a kind of a post-apocalyptic movie with Don Johnson and a telepathic dog. and. That, oh my God, that sounds awesome. It does. It, it, that is one of like the most horribly misogynistic movies I think I've seen, which is weird for something that you would, you know, you expect these exploitation movies or something to be like that. But it really kind of if, is very mean spirited and kind of unpleasant. And I don't know, it was a movie that does have a big cult following. And I watched it because I thought, oh, this sounds like something cool and weird that I would like. And I did not really care for it, but, you know, worth checking out, I guess. Now, is the dog uh, a misogynist there? I think it actually is. I haven't seen it in a while, but I think it kind of is, actually. So That's amazing. Nice. So. Nice. Um, wow, so, Dave, bro. have you seen those Pink Panther movies? 
I remember I watched them all like in high school. I don't remember which one is which though. So I can't really say if the return of the pink Panther was my favorite of the bunch or not, but uh, I, I loved them back then. So, okay. Yeah. That's a, that's kind of a blind spot for me. I haven't even seen the Steve Martin remakes. Of- <laughs> nice. Mm. Josh, after that, of course we went to the cult classic. I mean, what could we pick besides Rocky horror picture show? I'll tell you what bug a 1975 film I'm not familiar with. Picnic at Hanging Rock, the seminal Peter Weir movie. We got to get to Peter Weir sooner or later, yeah, right? He's another one of these filmmakers that I feel like has come up a bunch and we haven't actually gotten to him, but we should. Yeah. And then, uh, as you just mentioned, a boy and his dog. But uh, big shout outs to all the Shadow cast members and touring cast members from Rocky Horror that we interviewed Steve, Steve, and Destiny. Steve, Steve. Those are two, <laughs> two separate people. <laughs> FYI. <laughs> Hey, Josh, I mean, I feel like we had some others that could have been here on the cult classic Death Race 2000 Rollerball. Yeah, no, both of those are absolute possibilities. And a boy and his dog, as I just said, Bug is a is a horror movie about bugs. Bugs. I've seen it. It's it's weird. It's kind of it's gross. I remember sitting down to watch it when I was eating and it was like this was the wrong choice to do (laughs) at this moment. Yeah, the right choice was the Rocky Horror Picture. Yeah. yeah, oh, of course. For us, it was definitely the right choice, even though Jason didn't like it. Um, it's, you know, you think of cult classic, it, and that's the one movie that everyone thinks of. So obviously that was uh, that was the thing. So we closed out with our audience choice episode, as always, and we went with Sexploitation. Uh, as we said, we talked about Switchblade Sisters. Um, the other options in that that very large poll that turned out to maybe not be the best choice in order to get good feedback, but so many sexploitation movies, including Super Vixens, The Happy Hooker, Cover Girl Models, Street Girls, Emmanuel, The Joys of a Woman, and Teenage Seductress. Uh, Thanks again to Lynn Camella from UNLV who joined us for that episode. Uh, Some other audience choice categories. Again, exploitation was so huge in this era. We thought about doing a black exploitation category. Instead, we ended up talking about Dolomite in our Dave's Pick episode, but some other black exploitation movies that year, Cleopatra Jones and the Casino of Gold, Bucktown, and a movie whose title I will not say, uh, Boss, N-word. And uh, maybe that was something that we didn't want to put in an audience choice. I mean, uh, black exploitation obviously would have been a great category. So any of these could have worked there, Josh. I had a Originals that didn't need remakes, Death Race 2000, Rollerball, and Escape from Witch Mountain as a potential category. And I think you picked uh, movies featured on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah, and I think it would have been, I mean, I thought that was amusing, the fact that there were three of those. uh, Mitchell, The Giant Spider Invasion, and The Land That Time Forgot. And Mitchell especially is like a classic Mystery Science Theater episode. But I don't know if it would have been fun for us to watch those without the Mystery Science Theater (laughs) aspect and then talk about them. So I think Sexploitation was the way to go. Right. There's a lot of other big movies from this year. Prisoner of Second Avenue, Neil Simon, of course. Uh, Cooley High, a seminal black exploitation movie. Uh, the Sunshine Boys, which George Burns won Best Supporting Actor for, and The Killer Elite, Sam Peckinpah? Uh, sure, why not? Yeah, I mean, so many different films uh, across a variety of genres. I mean, it's great because we've got these big canonical classics, and then exploitation was so huge in this era, so all these really like famous B-movies, and it's just a... And and the the European art films like Jean Dielman that have really you know made an impact like such a range of different major films from this era. It's really a fascinating time for cinema. 
Yeah. The other one that we were looking at was The Great Waldo Pepper, starring Redford, uh, directed by George Roy Hill, who, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm not, directed Slapshot, which is, of course, one of our favorites on Austin. A lot of uh, important films from directors named Hill in this year. Mm -hmm. The the Hills just killing it, bro. We should have done that. Could have been our bonus category, (laughs) Movies by a Hill. Maybe. (laughs) Not as compelling a category as we came up with. <laughs> um, so as always, before we started the season, we posted on social media asking you, our listeners, what are some of your favorites from 1975? We got a lot of suggestions, uh, including some of the movies that we've already mentioned. Uh, as we said, um, Barry Lyndon and Nashville both were suggested a lot. Barry Lyndon was the most suggested film from people on social media. So another reason why we decided we wanted we to do, do it, yeah, we wanted to do a bonus episode on it. Um, some other things that we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, Chauncey Talese suggested Night Moves with Gene Hackman, which is a great movie, would have been another awesome one to talk about. Yeah, I like Night Moves. I didn't love it. I think I deserves a rewatch because I didn't love it. And I love Hackman. And it's an interesting mystery. And it's got um, young Melanie Griffith coming to the forefront there. Also, though, Josh, I love the song Night Poops by Bob Seger. And, and if we had done that episode, we could have heard your rendition of that. And that is uh, unfortunate that we missed out. In the sweet, sweet summertime. Thank you. Uh, Lindsay Washburn suggested Race with the Devil. Um, Joe Redensick also had suggested Night Moves. Uh, Ken Miller suggested The Drowning Pool, which I think is a, a Clint Eastwood movie. And what else we got here? Joe Black, always coming at us with the interesting suggestions, including a few that I hadn't heard of. So he sent us a lot. Hey, Josh, real fast. You're wrong on The Drowning Pool. It's uh, Paul Newman, Joanne Woodward, and a loose sequel to Harper. Okay. Directed by Stuart Rosenberg. I am not familiar Mm. with that one. I think I must be thinking of The Deadpool then, which is a- Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, you know. You know what I'm doing there. But Josh- one of the writers of The Drowning Pool, Walter Hill. Hey, it all comes back to the hills. Um, so, yeah, among Joe Black's suggestions, uh, Smile, Mandingo, yeah. Friday Foster, Hennessy, Aloha Bobby and Rose, The Master Gunfighter, 92 in the Shade, Rafferty and the Gold Dust Twins. And he said if we did an episode on Smile, it would blow his mind. But I have to say, I don't think I've heard of almost any of these films. We'll have to look it up, especially since Dave and I both uh, had parts in uh, the Natasha Hall movie that Joe has uh, put out and is currently putting out uh, for further uh, distribution. Congratulations, Joe. Yeah, Joe always has some really uh, interesting, eclectic taste. I think Smile is a Michael Ritchie movie, I want to say. But Mm -hmm. beyond that, I don't really know anything Yeah, I just looked it. it up. Yeah, stars Bruce Dern. I think it's a remake of Smile from last year. Yeah, yeah, that probably. makes total sense. Um, but all those others that he mentions pretty much, other than I think Mandingo, I don't know that I've heard of any of those. So yeah. lots lots to investigate there. Uh, John Brogdon did suggest Solo, so that's uh, one person. And he also mentioned Smile, so I suppose, uh, you know, a couple people there are familiar with that. Uh, Mike Privat, who has been a guest in the past, uh, suggested a few things, including a film called Mirror that I'm not really familiar with. And uh, Ryan Olbrich, he suggested a movie called The Amorous Milkman. Mm, that could have been in our sexploitation, I believe. 
it could have. Probably. So, shout out to Ryan, whose whose wife, Lynn Camella, was our guest on this exploitation episode. I don't know if Ryan and Lynn are at home watching the amorous milkman. I mean, if I, if I was a milkman, I think I'd be quite amorous. I think you would. So uh, thanks again to everyone for their suggestions. A lot of other people sent a lot of others that, uh, you know, that we kind of mentioned already, but we always appreciate the feedback on our social media and in the Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces group. So uh, any final thoughts on 1975, Jason? I mean, I think I've kind of been touting it all season as just what a wonderful, fantastic year for films. And I just love doing this season with, uh, with you guys. Aw, thanks, buddy. <laughs> well, I, mean, I would have loved it even if you weren't here. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> so it's more about 1975 and less about our friendship for 25 that, or 30 years. That's <laughs> good. I wouldn't want you to say anything nice. That would just not make any sense at all. It was really fun. It was a good yeah, time. It was. I agree. It was a lot of fun. I was glad. This is such a, a fruitful decade. You know, I hope we get back to the 70s again. I'm sure that we will. But before we do, Jason, what are we talking about in our next season? I mean, you just heard me saying like, oh, this move this year, 1975, so amazing. When we were looking for the next season, when we kind of did the research, the year we picked, it's just all heaters. It's going to be another awesome movie year, 1987. I can't even believe the audience choice category is like three of the most epic films of the 80s, if not all time. So like, if that's our audience choice, you know, the whole year is just going to be just banger after banger, baby. Yeah, there's oh, a lot yeah. of good stuff coming up in that season. Personally, I think there should be like a dozen bonus episodes on this coming yeah, season. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> really blow up the Patreon. So uh, again, if you're a subscriber to the Patreon, you can check out our bonus episodes on Barry Lyndon and Nashville coming up. So please check out By David Rosen on Patreon for that stuff as well as bonus material from Piecing It Together and from uh, Dave's music career. And uh, check us out on all the social media things. Yeah, do that. You know where they are. Go for Jason on Letterboxd. That's all Jason has to say. <laughs> you can also check out awesomemovieyear.com maybe and uh, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram, Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. Don't don't check out of any Jason's other stuff because he doesn't care. But, How dare uh, you, Josh? I thought you were going to plug it. <laughs> I I am just going to plug my stuff at joshbellhateseverything.com, joshbellhateseverything on Facebook, and Signal Bleed on Twitter and Letterboxd. Follow Go for Jason on Letterboxd and Signal Bleed. And, uh, and listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And Jason, what is that episode that we're kicking off 1987 with? Josh, it is the box office champion of 1987. Can you believe it, Josh? A comedy was the box office champion. And it's called Three Men and a Baby. Yeah, that is amazing. And I think it'll be fun to talk about. So tune in next time for Three Men and a Baby. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.